This is Mark Mullinex, and I welcome you to Power for the Peaceful, a podcast and class on Taoism. Episode 3, Dualism's Fantasies. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. Sweet sound of the river as she moves over the stones. The same song that the blood in your body sings as it weaves around your bones. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? We are hierarchical, and our hierarchical tendencies all too often drive our intelligence. That is, they drive us to use our intelligence to try to dominate one another. Octavia Butler. Today's tone-setting quote was just read by Dr. Amelia H. Wheeler, a recent transplant from Athens, Georgia, to Madison County, North Carolina. Near the end of today's episode, Amelia will pose a powerful question for us to consider a question that I feel we all ask. So welcome back. Great to have you along. Today we look at verse 2 of Tao Te Ching. We readers are asked in this verse to consider the wisdom of conceiving reality as one whole, rather than in our usual habits of dividing that whole into competing or opposing parts. Let's listen to this ancient verse. Verse 2. Distinctions promote Contention. Everyone knows how our discriminative minds frame things in pairs that seem inter interdependent. Awareness of the beautiful leads one to frame the ugly at the same time. Push leads to pull. Calling out the good creates headspace for the bad. Likewise, is and is not arise together. We relate easy and difficult together because they seem naturally paired. The same for short and long. High things seem high only when one points out the low. The same for front and back and superior and inferior. The past implies a future and so on. Once aroused, these dyads never stop. Therefore, the sage practices non-interference, Wu Wei, with the natural in her daily life. She silences the urge to define. Situations arouse attention, but she declines to confront, allowing natural processes to proceed without interrupting or possessing. She understands how things naturally and mutually arise without the need to control. She knows the secret to how things last. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? Let's play a game. Blurt out whatever associations your mind first comes up with when I say the following words. When I say black, you think. When I say high, you imagine. When I say right, your brain tells you. When I say yes, you say. When I say male, you see. When I say me, you visualize.
Notice for most of us how we think in opposing binaries. Playing this game, perhaps we were habitually buying into our culture's fondness for strong dualisms or seeing the world fenced off into opposing and distant, not neighboring camps. Why do we join these opposing concepts without thinking? Why this habit of opposing dualisms? To address this today, here is our first lesson. Tao disrupts our habits of conceiving reality. We saw in verse 1 how we should disrupt and silence our word habits in order to allow Tao, which is always there, to finally emerge into our consciousness. In the second verse, we have still more linguistic habits to address, for little by little and incrementally, our culture helps us to forget that there were originally no binary concepts. All that is Tao is one without division. Only by forgetting Tao do we then make these artificial separations in our language. Thus we forget original peace and swap out peace for temporary and artificial divisions. Weaving throughout this podcast series is the thing that Tao disrupts and reshapes our usual way of living and thinking. Tao interrupted our word logaria in verse 1, and this verse 2, Tao questions our word choices. Tao exposes here our linguistic leaning to line out reality into just or only dual and falsely opposing categories. There's something at stake, though, in the way we think. And I believe we can change our habits and recover our original states, especially when we ask two questions. Who benefits from these false battle lines? And who drew these hard but artificial lines of separation? When we get into this and that thinking and use only terms of black or white, up or down, hot or cold, male or female, we create artificial and opposing categories of winners or losers, heavens and hells, saved versus sinners. If our only terms are black or white, up or down, rich set against the poor, we descend into a robotic and false relationship with reality. The key here is the root of opposite, or to oppose. We set things into opposing camps with these binaries. Tao just asks, oh, really? To this forced competition. Tao interrupts the injustices that we, when we forget Tao's prior call to us, began at our level of conceptions. That is where injustices actually begin, at the conceptual level. Can we reconceive creation as one and naturally balanced? Because that's how creation began, just, peaceful, without hierarchies. So instead of separation, Tao invites us to see all as one, all as neighbors, everything connected and contiguous. All you have to do is silence that alleged need to define by separation. Our question today by Dr. Wheeler goes right to this point. Stay tuned. Tao teaches our essential oneness and unity, and we are invited to unlearn our divisive patterns spread throughout our linguistic spells. We must continually learn to unlearn much that we've learned. Only thus do we grow. R.D. Lang.
Why does Tao disrupt our dualistic distinctions, which want to divide and to separate experiences into two categories, favorable and unfavorable, wanted and not wanted, good and evil? Our strong but wrong-headed habits to label and to use separating concepts has immense and societal implications. For if we assume that we can actually separate and then label the so-called good as a necessary contrast with bad, we may feel that silent permission not to, to feel compassion with the more negative concept. For labeling ends wonder. Labeling ends compassion. Labeling ends conversation. Labeling reduces curiosity about these less positive concepts and encourages promotion of the more positive ones alone. Reduced curiosity leads us to see negative images or concepts as unnecessary for society. Labels enable a society to, to discriminate and make laws against the parts of creation it no longer cares about or talks with. This is how racism happens. This is how the destruction of nature still occurs. This is how women still get, in the 21st century, an average of 82 cents for every dollar a male makes. Making distinctions where there are none originally are the first steps to injustice, period. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? Who these days ever thinks critically about these dualisms that seem to saturate our vocabulary, thought patterns, and culture? Do you find yourself kind of habitually using these binaries to explain or to dismiss or to describe reality? For example, we often differentiate between mind and body or body and soul. We still stray by describing people as either male or female and gay or straight, which is like describing our whole selves or our sexualities with only two colors. When we have at our disposal the entire crayon box of colors. Why use only two crayons to paint our linguistic realities? What's wrong with using the entire box of crayons? People with male bodies, with lighter color skin, with leisure and privilege, usually, not always, give mind more credence and the body less confidence. They see mind processes as oil and body processes as water, and thus it seems right for the two never to intersect or even be curious about the other. And then we bring in religion and God and politics to explain, or I mean justify, our word choices. Meanwhile, we have these huge middle slices of reality which goes unrepresented in our thinking and language. Question, do these linguistic binaries actually describe reality? Or do they hinder us from seeing the entire whole fabric of reality? Do we lose our curiosity for the middle ranges, the moderate tones? Or are these opposites in our minds really opposites in reality? Is their warring state a natural thing? Black and blue. Who knows which is which and who is who? Up and down. 
and in the end, it's only round and round. Haven't you heard? It's a battle of words. Pink Floyd from the song, Us and Them. Many are the cultures today that are dominated by bilateral thinking. Long, long histories with spiritual, political, and economic substories have preceded us and helped to guide us into these narrow, constricted ways. I put a link to a history of dualism in today's show notes. An alternative way to consider the binaries is to include them, not either or, but both and. A symbiosis. Each participates in the other, relates to the other, and interpenetrates each other, but not with antagonism. In Tao Te Ching, this is where the wonderful yin-yang image comes into play. Rather than put up the do not trespass signs between the two alternatives, yin and yang thinking will seek to open a door in the fence separating the two so they can merge, cross-pollinate, and do the metaphorical equivalent of inviting each other over for tea and biscuits. What if what we call hot or male or up is each an energy or current unto itself? And what if we term cold or female or down as an energy current unto itself? And same for lukewarm and warm and cool, plus all the spaces among and between these words. Instead of male or female as the only boxes to check, science from psychology to biology can now speak of a range and diversity of gender expressions. Shall we leave these other expressions behind and unspoken? This is a justice question. Whose unity is being served by our linguistic division making? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? One solution is to consider the term enter be, used by the late Thich Nhat Hanh. Regard yourself and the creatures you encounter each with their own unique energies, but as energies flowing into each other all the time. We all have similar needs and cares and concerns. Following Tao means knowing all creation permeates you and affects you, and you in turn interbe with all as well. After all, all creation is is but recycled stardust. We share common origins, common destinies, common aspirations, but binary and opposing terms hide our commonalities. Here's the question worth chewing on. Does our binary habit prevent us from seeing what is strange, from seeing strangers? Our minds are primed to see the world in terms of us and them. We can't help it. The moment we look upon another's face, our minds discern in an instant whether or not they are one of us part of our family or community or country or one of them. This happens before conscious thought. It's easier to feel empathy and compassion for one of us, much harder for one of them. When one of us does something bad, we tend to attribute it to circumstance. But when one of them does the same, we attribute it to an essence. Oh, that's just the way they are. Valerie Kaur from See No Stranger. 
Our binaries do short-circuit the wonder and awe of which I spoke of in the last episode. Wonder is the ticket to a holy openness to awe. With wonder and awe, we place significance on what our languages says are insignificant things. However, once we stop wondering, when we conclude we have nothing to learn from the other, we start down a road to increasing ignoring, marginalization, rules against, and then violence toward that other. A violence that starts with how we conceive a reality. Why does this matter? Binary thinking informs our prison industrial complex, helps us to fight wars, and privileges groups of people over others. In other words, binaries serve the status quo. Our binary categories prevent us from hearing or being curious about most of creation. They keep our enemies evil, our minds ever discriminating, and our desire for control constant. This is across-the-board impoverishment, plain and simple. In this verse, the implied question is, can we live without these dyads? Asked another way, are we ready to be a peacemaker? It is an unpeaceful mind that needs these contrived battles of concepts, when actually there is no battle at all. What if that battle is all in our heads? Do we need an imagined high to counterbalance an imagined low? This verse merely asks that we don't rush to judgments or uncritically jump to our robotic preferences dictated by a culture pretty doggone ignorant of what's important. Instead, practice welcoming all. Be revolutionary for a change. For here is good news. We can listen to and befriend any portion of creation. Each particle of creation creates a space within us all, and we are invited to listen and ask of each particle, person, or power, what quality of space can we co-create together? To embrace all on its own terms and not our terms enhances our abilities to shine more brightly in the world. This is our power for peace. Life is not organized in our artificial either-or categories. That's not how reality works. If we jettison either-or thinking and embrace the befriending of all reality, we can consider all creation like ingredients in a grand recipe that unite together in the cooking, and we are unable to say just one thing about the finished product. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Albert Einstein. Popular wisdom holds that the definition of insanity is to do the same thing we usually do but expect different results. It is a disturbed culture that ever divides its options into an infinite contestation between two camps, one better than the other, who then expects peace in order to flow from that insanity. We have begun this insane state of affairs in one kind of thinking, but as Einstein suggests, we will not solve it by remaining in that one ditch of thought. Thinking with Tao helps to realign our thought habits back to our original, peaceful, spontaneous natures. We are freed from our rutted thinking. So our homework. I suggest this week that we listen to our own speech and vocabulary. When binary opposites arrive on our tongue, ask, why? And then perhaps 
instead of thinking in opposite or opposing terminologies, start using the word neighbor. Instead of opposite gender, neighboring gender. Instead of opposite color, neighboring color. Reconsider how all that is seen outside us is already neighbor to us. If one is a God believer, try out neighbor God in your prayer life. And please let me know how it goes. I am interested. And now to our question from our reader for today's episode. So my question today is really rooted in the teachings of this verse and um, the quotes that you offered. And it's simply, what might someone do when they notice that their minds are being hierarchical? So this is something that's happening to me quite frequently as I'm starting a new job. And I'll notice, for example, I'll be sitting in meetings and there's this subtle sense that somehow I know better than people, I'm smarter than them, and I can feel the way it creates a separation between me and them. Um, I wanna hurry up and get things done. They're almost in the way. And so the first question I have is what to do when you notice that happening? And my second question is what to do when you notice it happening to you? There's been times in my life and even in starting this new job where I can feel that somebody else is perhaps assuming that I'm an other, that I'm less knowledgeable because I'm a woman, um, that I don't know the right thing to do because uh, somebody called me a granola recently as if I'm um, a suspect hippie. And so, and I found myself in that moment too, reacting to a sense of otherness to that person. They were immediately put on another side of a fence from me. So my question is twofold. What do you do when you notice your mind creating hierarchies in which you are placed at the top? And what to do when you feel like somebody else is creating hierarchies or distinguishing you as a subordinate? Thank you very much for this wonderful two-part question, Amelia. First, be grateful that you're even noticing your mental placement of others on another side of the fence. And when you notice someone putting you on the other side of their imaginary fence, that is good soul work, just noticing. Second, accept that you do this and accept it that or when others do it to you. Don't start shooting all over yourself, something like, I should have stopped that in its tracks, or I should have responded back to that person with the perfect comeback and put them in their place. For when we act out of our shoulds, we are out of listening range from the other. What you want to do is keep yourself and keep them human, humane, as worthy as you regard anyone. From this acceptance attitude and the no should place, you're now ready to remember Taoism's key point. You cannot change others by direct action. We have not talked much about Wu Wei or non-action, but not inserting your ego into either situation you have asked about, I think is key. Once the ego is stimulated, it's hard to bed that down again. And it's hard to predict what troubles the ego can lead one into. So wait. Don't react. This is Wu Wei. Wu Wei is not acting in the right time. 
in the right place and for the right reason. In that open space, you now have a creative womb that embraces and befriends the situation. Can you befriend the situation even if it is an unjust gender imbalance that's thousands of years old? Fourth, remember that we are wired for goodness and any other wiring may short circuit if we try to use anything other than our original goodness here. Trust your wiring because you want to rewire bad circuits. You want to wire in compassion and wire out ego or self-only processes. This means, finally, learning and practicing compassion for self and compassion for the other. Both arise together, but compassion is hard work. When someone slights us or when we want to export our bruised emotions onto a situation, what's going on here? I feel that what's going on here is that a scared or wounded part of our psyche is crying for help. And we feel inadequate until we build a fence against the slights we make or the slights we take. Maybe part of us that feels inadequate is crying for healing. This moment shows a place in us that could use more self and other compassion. By not responding in our usual ways, which is usually by building a fence, we then prepare a womb, an empty place where creativity comes in and you can learn to build gates in the gateless fence. That empty gate in that fence between you and someone else is your womb. I liken this to a small stone when wisely placed in a stream alters that water flow just a little, but enough to cause a change in water pressure and flow downstream. So make your wise choices to place a stone of interruption in your psychic flow so that you both become more aware of and compassionate in these hard situations. And then you develop wise strategies from a healthy womb within you. Best wishes, Amelia. If you find this podcast helpful, I would so appreciate your leaving your review on your podcast provider. That will help this podcast find more people like you. Also, if you'd like to be a reader and question asker, hop on to markmullinax.com. This podcast is an original labor of love, designed, written, and produced by me. Its central idea is that Tao Te Ching is good news for today. Tao still speaks. Thanks to Dr. Amelia H. Wheeler for her voice and question. Thanks to Audrey Davis for her artwork. The song Put Your Roots Down is graciously offered by songwriter and singer Molly Hartwell. The copyright for quotations from Tao Te Ching is held by Fortress Press. May your days begin in peace and become laboratories for radical hope. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. The sweet sound of the river as she moves over the stones. The same song that the blood in your body sings as it weaves around your bones. When you're listening, when you're listening,